0: Make sure that through Anthony's Way foundation that my son is remembered. And I had a guy just stand up, I went to one of his anniversaries and he said, I'm really sorry this happened to you, Miss Gina. But I want you to know that if it wasn't for Anthony, you wouldn't have helped me. So that's what
1: That's what it's that's all what drives
0: about. me that's what keeps me going, yeah, because mm-hmm. There has to be a purpose in this. And and I think this is what
2: this is. All right. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Science and Stigma podcast. Uh, another week, another podcast. Thanks, you guys, for uh, joining in. If you're joining in this week's podcast, we actually have a, a virtual guest. Uh, it took us a little bit to get started here, but we're here at, with uh, Gina. You're gonna tell me all the last name again, d Maria. d Maria. De
1: Maria. Yeah. Gina d Maria.
2: Welcome to the podcast. Um, as I just met you, you just met me. Uh, this <laughs> is my mom, so we're gonna get to know you a little bit here. I'm not quite sure what you do. If you could start out by telling us what you what you do and kind of your little like your story and stuff like that, that'd be cool. Well, my
0: name is Gina d Maria, and I um, run a nonprofit called Anthony's way foundation. Um, how I got started with the Anthony's way foundation is I, um, I had a son by the name of Anthony, um, and I lost him to a, uh, heroin overdose. Um, my story is, is not unique to, to, it's not unique, unfortunately. Um, but, how Anthony's way got started was my son um, was an athlete. He um, was a motocross athlete, he got hurt. Um, he broke his femur. Um, and that started him on oxycotton. And that he was on oxycotton for about a year. Um, and that became the addiction. Um, after he was healed, and um, they completely cut him off of oxycotton. And I, I didn't know at the time, but then he went to the street. I, I wasn't very knowledgeable about addiction. I just didn't know. And um, he went to the street and, and um, I think at first he was buying them off the street, but at the time he was only 16 years old. So he didn't have a lot of money and heroin is relatively cheap. So that became um that started his addiction.
1: Can you tell us how long he was on the OxyContin with a prescription
0: He was on, on OxyContin. on he had a a compound um uh, femur break, and what they did was they put a rod in his in his um femur um We ended up at at Sinai Hospital in Baltimore and he was on Oxycontin. He would do five days worth of, we pretty much lived there. Um, He did five days worth of rehabilitation um, because they wanted to make sure that he was young, he was gonna be able to walk okay. Um, And they did, they were a great hospital. However, during that time period, some of his rehab, his physical rehabilitation um, was extremely painful. So they gave him Oxycontin. And he was on oxycotton probably. Um, I would say almost a, a year. Okay. His his rehab was probably about ten months. Um, and he was it was almost a year. And I mean heavy, heavy. I have it. It actually. I I keep everything. I have all my all every paperwork he ever whenever he went to the doctors. And I actually had pulled out a. Um, when we were leaving the hospital, because we would go to what they would call um, clinics. So every three weeks they would x-ray his leg, make sure everything was going good. And then of course they would prescribe him. I questioned the doctor back then because he was only 16 years old. And I said, you know, this is a lot of medication for him. And they told me that, well, you don't understand, it's the hardest bone in your body. He's in extreme pain and nobody wants their kid to be in pain. So I kind of, you know, doctors back then, you know, doctors, we kind of put doctors up on a pedestal. We don't question them. They know all they're supposed to know all. Mm -hmm. And so at one time he was on a, he was on, um, 180 milligrams, three times a day of Oxycontin, which is unheard of in today's standards. And he was 16 years old. Mm. So his addiction, um, you know, I didn't know, but very quickly he was, he became addicted. And, um, you know, we were kind of doing what the, what the doctor told us. Uh, so he got better, um, as far as physically gotten better, but, but then, you know, our nightmare began, began with the, the prescri- with, you know, first he was buying prescription pills off the street. Um, and then we found out it was the one. Um, and he went to seven different rehab, um, four or five different detox centers. Um, he was all over the country. He went to all different rehabs. My ex-husband works for the federal government and he had really good insurance. So we were fortunate that way, but he went to rehab after rehab and um, he just never could, uh He never could get it, you know, he could never, he he would never be in recovery long, Mm -hmm. um, maybe a month, maybe two months. And that that was it. So it was, it was a, unless you've been in it, it's extremely chaotic. Um, At the time I had another child, um, uh, Anthony's brother. And so I'm trying to, you know, raise kids. I'm trying to make sure I'm paying attention what's going on with him. Um, he got himself in a little bit of legal trouble, uh, and it was, he couldn't hold a job. Um, he almost didn't graduate high school. It was extremely difficult. You were always, I mean, it, you were, I was always waiting for something else to happen. Uh,
1: so from the time he was 16, it started.
0: End, yes.
1: And when did it end? So it
0: started from the time he was 16. Well, he, he never, he never, he, the, he never had long-term sobriety until, um, literally the year before he died. Um, he died March 14th, or excuse me, uh, 2014, March 30th. And he had been almost 12 months clean. And he had decided to pick up that last time well what they believed happened was because he had been clean for so long he had no tolerance so what they think he probably did was use the same amount that he had used prior like the year before and um and that's and he overdosed and and died um this you know the, the, the bad part about it is he was trying to get his life back together and he just made that one mistake and, you know, he used again. And at that time in 2014, we didn't see as much fentanyl as we see now. It was very little fentanyl. So he, he, he did overdose on um, just heroin. Okay. Um, we, uh, it, was, it was chaotic. Dad and I were divorced. Um, you know, we tried to manage it as best you can, but you, you just, it, it's, you know what to do. Like I said, it's extremely chaotic. You, it's, it's. You're always waiting for something to happen, but at the same time, you're petrified. You're scared. You don't know. Um, I mean, what you're scared of is what actually happens. You're afraid they're going to die.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, you know, I would send him to, uh, you know, rehab over and over again. I, he actually overdosed in my house um, one time and um you know you don't ever those images you don't ever um forget and so um it becomes i had to reach out for because i didn't know um it becomes so chaotic and you become so enmeshed in what they're doing it's almost your own addiction to try to save them and what i what I was doing was I was just not taking care of the things that I should have been taking care of because I was so um, involved in making sure nothing happened to him and um, and the ultimate happened and I you know I got that horrible knock on the door and um, he had been doing so good and you know it just it did we did not my my ex-husband had called me um, the morning that we found out Anthony um, had overdosed and said well, where's Anthony and I said I don't know I thought he was with you and he had said um, no um, he's supposed to help me do something with his his um, his then mother-in-law paint, paint something and I said well message him on Facebook so I messaged him and I was messaging Anthony where are you you need to call me or call your father and it was very strange because we were, just, we were just kind of easing back a little bit because he had, been, he had been in recovery for about a year, almost a year. He was doing everything he was supposed to be doing. And um, so we, we had no idea. And then, of course, I get the, the knock on my door. And at the time, my, my other son was five years old and they say, um, you know, Mr. Maria, we need to talk to you about your son, Anthony. And at that time I thought, okay, he got himself in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he got a DUI or something, but he got, he did, something happened. And um, and they said, I said, let me get my pocketbook out. Do you want me to go with you? Do you want me to follow you? And they said, no, um, Anthony is not in jail. And he said, you know i'm sorry to say me tell you this but you're, you know your symphony has expired and um I, I don't really remember a whole lot after that but it's the weirdest thing you almost i almost felt like i was um i didn't faint i didn't but i could hear this horrible i, I feel like i go back to it i felt i heard this horrible screaming and what i didn't realize is it was me that was screaming mm-hmm Um, because you're kind of out of it. It's extremely shocking, Um, but I can say that he. I mean, he fought really hard to stay to stay clean. He he fought incredibly hard to stay clean and. um, You know, as a mom. It's it's a pretty hard hit because we're supposed to protect our kids. And I know this was one thing I could never do for my son. And I did. I tried to do everything for him, but I knew that I could not get clean for him. Mm-hmm. He he had to do that work himself. And you know, after his passing is where passing is when I kind of dived in and to to realize, you know, you know, his dad and I were divorced. We had a pretty nasty divorce. Um, you know, I did a lot of self blame um I never did I I don't believe in the whole tough love thing I I think and I tell parents now when I meet them listen you know I don't know the tough love works I think you have to let them them you know be able to feel their own consequences for their actions however they also have to know that you love them they also have to know that you're there that you support them not that you support them in the in some of the choices um with using but that you support them and love them as they make better choices to improve their life um and i i tried to always be there for anthony
2: yo what's going on guys sorry for the slight interruption but we were recording zoom and uh, we lost internet connection with gina so we decided to call her via phone the audio came back a lot cleaner and we had a better connection with her so you might hear a difference in audio from this point on. If you guys made it this far in the episode, I want to say uh, we appreciate you guys for listening, supporting us throughout our journey. Now let's get back to the episode of the podcast.
0: Okay. That's the only good. thing
2: is she won't be able to hear us, I don't think.
0: Hello? Hey.
2: Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear
1: you. Okay, because we lost you through the internet, so we're going to start...
2: Can you hear us now? Yeah, I can. Okay.
1: We're gonna continue this way if you don't mind. Um, and can we pick up where you started about the mental health issues?
0: I um the the mental health part about it is you know I I just never knew that those kind of commingled and 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 the addiction part of it really was a result of mental health. Um, I believe Anthony's was, you know, the self-esteem issues and always trying to do everything to perfection. And when he couldn't get perfection, he would beat himself up. And I think um, using became a way of coping and being able to feel better and and um, accepted. And so um, when, during during the times that he was going to rehab, they never touched on any kind of mental health or or, um, or any kind of underlying issues. And, and I think he would have um, greatly benefited from that. I mean, um, I, I think, and I, and I say this all the time but with, with the, the individuals that I work with um, and, and the treatments that I see and, and some of the treatments that work and some of the treatments that do not work, I believe, it's my opinion that we're treating addiction wrong. I think we should solely look at it through mental health first because there, you know, there is so much um, underlying conditions and and mental health issues that literally fuel addiction. Um, And so I think if we treated the mental health first, you know, we may have better outcomes with addiction. Um, I know I've read lots of articles about trauma um, and I know from my guys in my recovery houses that um, you know most of addiction is again fueled by trauma um, childhood trauma uh, um, physical abuse sexual abuse you know I have a guy that that has severe PTSD from being in a war um, so you know he self-medicated because of his trauma Um, and until he started working on the trauma, um, he, he, he couldn't stop using because it, that was the only thing that soothed him and, and the only thing that took away, um, his pain and his, um, anxiety and all, you know, all the things that come with trauma. And so, um, you know, I think, I think if we can treat those things first, um, and, you know, of course, get get someone safe as far as, as being um, detoxing from illicit drugs. But, you know, I think mental health is a huge part of um, helping someone with addiction issues.
1: Gina, in your experience, because Austin and I have not ever been in a rehab, and my son was never in a rehab, and he also died in 2014. But do you think now they deal with that? Are you familiar with the rehabs now, and do they touch on mental health?
0: Well, they are. They're, they're doing a, a lot better job of, the, you know, now we have dual diagnosis um, rehabs, um, and, and they do both. They do, you know, they do the addiction and they do the mental health. And so, um, so, so we do have more of an awareness of the mental health part of it. I just think we don't have enough of it yet and see what happens is these guys will go to a dual diagnosis rehab, and everything is great while they're in this bubble, while they're, they're, they're completely um, taken out of their, um, the places where they used, which is, which is fine, it separates them, they're physically safe, they're staying into a place, um, you know, 30, 30 days most of the time, which I, I don't think is ever enough, um, and, but then what happens is once they get out, they're out of that bubble, so it's not a reality that they can sustain. So then they're they're left to look for their own mental health therapists, and there's just there's not enough of them out there. And then I, I find a lot of, and I'm not, and I don't want to bash any kind of treatment, but but we have we lack a lot of professional um, counselors, therapists, social workers. Um, and what we do have is um, we have a lot of individuals that that um, you know, went into recovery and decided they wanted to work in the in, you know in the addiction field, which is fine. However, not all of them are a good fit to counsel other people. So what we have, what I have found, in the last five years is I find a cycle of individuals going in and out of rehab centers over and over and over again because one of the biggest things that I see is that some of these counselors, um, they feel that they know what it's like to have an addiction, and, and they do. However, they're not healed themselves yet. So what it creates is a revolving door. So these guys keep going back and back they'll, they'll keep I mean I, I had a guy in my house that spent his whole 20s in rehab centers because he just he would go out he'd be good for a while and then he would relapse and he just he's he, he literally told me 10 years he spent in rehabs and recovery houses and it was just that he was not getting the care and and, and I don't want to say that it's all I mean sometimes people are just not ready you can you can give them um, you know, they can take them to rehab, and they can get as much as they can out of them. But if they're not open to the whole process, they're not going to get well. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of elements in it. There's a lot of um, uh, I think a lot of things that we need to improve um, to be able to um, to help these guys. Um, you know, I'm a, a great, Where when I wasn't, I didn't know anything about MAT, which is medicaid assisted treatment. Um, and that's medication. That's methadone, Suboxone, Vivitrol, Subuclidate, Um, and I've seen, um, great miracles with this. I mean, I have a guy in my house now and, and he's been 18 months on Suboxone. He uses it how he's supposed to use it. I mean, it's monitored in our, in our houses. He uses it. he's, you know he has a job that he's had for almost two years. Um, he's seeing his children. He's um, and that's because he's 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 on this medication. It gives them a um, stable uh, place in their life. Well, first of all, they know they can't use um, with some of this medication. It just it won't let them feel any euphoria of whatever they may be using, but. Is this long term, Gina?
1: Like, is there a limit to how long they can be on this before it affects them uh, differently, their health, or can it well, be forever?
0: Well, methadone. You know, I think methadone. Uh, I don't. I mean, I'll get a. I'll get a lot of backlash for this. No, it's I'm okay. Afraid.
1: Like, that's what we're here the, for.
0: Yeah, I mean, methadone. I. I. I have some issues with because methadone, when you're on methadone, you're on a lifelong, that's lifelong. That's what they want you to be on lifelong. And here's the thing with methadone. You've got to go every single day. And it's very, very rare. I, I've actually never seen anybody that goes once a month or once a week. It's usually every single day. So here you're keeping them in that whole, um, um, you know, they've got to go get medication where before it was they had to go get their heroin or the drugs or whatever they were getting to get well, every morning they're going to go get methadone. So
1: it's the same routine.
0: Same routine. Okay. So then you have methadone, and methadone, where we are, what happens is you can use anything you want while you're on methadone, and they will not take you off methadone. You can use any illicit drug you'd like. They're not going to take you off of it. And here's the reason why. Their reasoning is that it's harm reduction. However, methadone is extremely dangerous, and a lot of people will use methadone and then go use heroin. Um, so, my issue is, you know, we most of the time they're using methadone, so that it, you know it's coming from a a it's controlled. It's coming from a, a place where we know it's safe. This drug, however, they continue to raise the dosages. The long-term effects is that you know that that it's extremely hard to get off of, um, and then they'll say, "Well, why don't why do they have to get off of it? They can be be on it the rest of their life." Um, you can't go out of town on vacation. You can't do any of those things. You ha- you are literally a slave to that drug. Um, and and I'm again, I've seen it work on short short-term, but I've never seen methadone work long-term. I've never seen that happen. Now, Suboxone is a little bit different. Um, Suboxone is a blocker. And what that means is that someone who uses Suboxone cannot, it coats their receptors. They will not feel any um, euphoria if they try to use heroin. However, if someone tries to use heroin on Suboxone, they will go into what's called precipitated withdrawals, and they say that it's about 10 times worse than a normal heroin um, withdrawal. So they won't. Most of the time, they won't do it. Some of them try it and try to override it, um, and and it will. That you, they can overdose. But um, I've, I've, Suboxone is a prescription that they take once. You know, they get once a month. Um, it's highly sought off, sought after on the street. So. Um,
1: why is you know, that so if it if it takes away the effects why would drug users want to get suboxone on the street
0: well one of the reasons is is if they can't find what they're looking for um they're having a hard time they can't ha- they don't have money or whatever the reason is a lot of times still people will sell the suboxone and that will help you not be sick it will help with the withdrawals okay now Usually they don't take a lot of it because they're just waiting to find whatever they need to find, but whatever opiate they may need. But they do, I mean, and, and some people take it in high doses to feel some kind of, you know, um, I don't know if it's a high, um, you know, people say they don't get high off of it. But um, I can tell you when when um, individuals I've seen start taking it, um, they look Kind of out of it um, in the beginning of using it because their body's not used to it. So I, I'm not I'm not exactly sure. Um, some people say that they do get high off of it, uh, but it, it has a. I mean, people can sell individuals sell it on the street for twenty dollars, ten to twenty dollars a strip. Um, in our houses we control it. It's in a safe. So when it's time for them to get it, we give them what they, um, or they they get what they um, are prescribed and. Um, that way it's controlled and and it's not floating for anybody else to take. So, um, you know, they, the suboxone is what vivitrol. I have I have um a guy on vivitrol and he's been on it for about 11 months now. Same thing. That blocks that coats the receptors, so even if they were to take a, a, an opiate, um first it would block it, he, there would be no euphoria and again, they would be put in precipitated withdrawals. And with vivitrol um it's a shot, so it's a once a month shot. So you will, there's no changing that. You will go through precipitated withdrawals and there's no way around that. So most of them won't try it. I'm sure there are people that do, but um, most of them won't try to override the Vivitrol. So there are a lot of other um, medications out there that I've seen. Um, Are they long term? You know, I here's here's my thought on if they if they should be long-term. I think once you become stable in your recovery, you know whether that's a year, two years, or five years, um, you know I don't I don't know that. It, it, I think it's it's a personal thing. If you need it or feel that this is what's helping you stay um, doing the right thing, you know, keeping a job not, you know, not doing, breaking the law, you know, having your relationships back, positive things are going on in your life, you know, and that's what you think, you know, contributes to it or it's, it's attributed to it, then, you know, I would say stay on it. But I, I don't know. Here, here's the thing about and I don't know that there are long studies on, um, you know, really long time use. Um, some doctors will tell you we have doctors around here that'll tell you they can be on it the rest of their life um that's not really the
1: answer it's not fixing the problem it's It's like a band-aid
0: it is and it is and that's 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 what we kind of say you need to get stable in your recovery Mm -hmm. and know that you're never going to go back to um using or the you know the, the lifestyle you know homeless or or not having mm-hmm. places, you know, couch surfing or, you know, not having jobs, stealing um, to support your habit. It's, it's, I don't know that it's a long-term fix.
1: But if you, you have know, a loved have one that's <laughs> addicted, you're going to let them do whatever it takes to promise them one more day. So, yep. I mean, I, like I said, I never had to go through that, but I can tell you I didn't understand what Suboxone was and my son had Suboxone in his wallet when the police officer handed his wallet back to me and I was like, what does this, what does this do? And he said he needed a prescription. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he didn't have a prescription for this. And again, like you said that he bought that on the street.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's mainly, a lot of them will carry it or just have pieces of it. They won't, someone who, who is using um, heroin, Usually isn't taking a whole strip of there. There's very little bits of it just to keep them well enough to get what they need to get. Um, because again, they don't want to be sick. Okay. Um, if they were to take, you know, use heroin um, soon after taking a, a piece of uh, Suboxone, but it's um, it'll keep them. It'll it'll help them get through withdrawals or or even feeling a little bit sick. And that's that's the bottom line. That's what they fear the most is being sick. Okay. Um, and that's what drives that addiction. Um, so I think, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think it works. I think, I mean, it, there's a place, there's definitely a place for it. I mean, I have, I have, in my two houses, I have about 50% of them that, 50% of the men that use MAT, and then the other ones, they don't use anything. And it's, and it's not for, um, it's just their personal preference. My thing is I don't like for people to push abstinence because we know that doesn't work long-term in the beginning. I think some of these things like Suboxone and Vivitrol, in the beginning, you need to get your feet under you. You need to get stable in your recovery. You need to clear your head. Your head needs to be cleared, um, especially if you've been a long-time user, and and that's what I see happen with, like, Suboxone and Vivitrol and the Sublicate, it will help them get a stable base for them to start rebuilding their lives. When when they first come out of, especially if they come out of um, incarceration, um, they're extremely vulnerable. But here's another thing that, drug, that, that the MAT does. A lot of times it'll take their cravings away. Um, and I hear that most of the time, that, the, it, you know, they, they're not craving the drugs. Um, and so that helps. With, um, you know, overdose rates as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, and I, and when people ask me all the time, I mean, we we had just briefly when I when right before Anthony passed away, we had just started hearing more about Suboxone. Really, no one carried that around here, and so you know, we had thought about even um, we had talked about it one or two times, but but nothing real serious. But I could tell you, and and I you know I say this to. A lot of parents, because a lot of them will say, well, you just trade one drug for another. Well, that's not really true. Um, you know, they're not standing out on the corner. They're not stealing. They're not, they have jobs. They have, you know, they're trying to rebuild their lives with a medication that's helping them, um, you know, not crave um, opiates, not crave um, that whole, um, you know, I don't know if say it's a lifestyle, but that whole um, chaotic Um, drive of drug addiction, what drug addiction is. I mean, it's literally a drive. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that's what MAT does. Um, It
1: helps Yeah, it's interesting because like you said, some people are totally against it and then other people and, and some programs are totally against it and then other programs, you know, support it. So it's really... There's a lot of conflict between both whether you're allowed to use it or not allowed to use it. I know you and I spoke, and in your houses in in Hanover, and we'll get into that, you allow that, but there's a lot of the houses in York that don't necessarily allow that.
0: Well, they don't, and here and here's where I, here's what I see, and that and this is where I come in with a lot of the a lot of these people, and, and I I have a a couple particular ones that I. I have really a hard time with some of the owners of these recovery houses because, you know, I'm not, I've never been an addict. I've never had an addiction. And so, um, but some of these other owners, you know, they believe that um, the only way to to beat addiction, whether it's alcohol, opiates, or whatever it may be, is that you have to, you know, it's just abstinence only. Well, here's the thing with that. Some of these these guys are much older and the heroin of 20 years ago or even 15 years ago is not the heroin of today today the heroin is is 95 fentanyl so why would you abstinence isn't working i mean more more people die now than that that ever have Mm -hmm. so abstinence i mean mat is is um, and and I was not a believer. I wasn't sure about it. I didn't know what to think about it. And and what I had seen, I've I've done all kinds of readings. But but MAT is evidence based. It is definitely keeping people alive. And and whether that's a year or two years, it's definitely giving them more life. It's it's a quality of life too. I mean, they're not out looking and and trying to to get drugs. And it's it's a um, when, when they say they can't do it in abstinence only, I think it's extremely dangerous. We can't preach abstinence only. The other part of that is is everybody's different. Everybody's dealt with something different. You know, someone may have had an enormous amount of trauma. Some of them, um, you know, they, they, uh, they deal with different things. So what may be good for one is not necessarily good for, for the other. And that's where I think some of our treatment... Also needs to be a little bit more honed in and catered to the individual person. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily, you know. We have to do groups for everybody. We have to do this in counseling. I think it it really needs to be very personal and individual.
1: Do you know? Does insurance cover these MATs? Yes,
0: they do. Yes, it does. It has to now. Um, it, it. I mean, methadone is a federal federal program. So there, that is covered by um, insurance. Um, the only MAT now, which again is another controversial one, Suboxone is, is covered by insurance. um, um and um, the Vivitrol shot is also covered by insurance. The only thing that is not covered and is also considered an MAT is medical marijuana. Pennsylvania was the first state. I'm not sure what the other states are, but Pennsylvania was the first state to... Um, to use medical marijuana for opiate addiction. Um, Now, we allow medical marijuana cards in our houses, but it's a case-by-case basis. Um, In Pennsylvania, medical marijuana is not, you cannot burn medical marijuana. It has to be vaped. So they can't, um, which is usually a liquid, or I say that it has to, it, it cannot be burned, but it can be vaped, um, and they have edibles as well so again we 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 control it in our houses and we lock it up and they have prescriptions for it so um and there's also other houses that do not allow mental health medication like antidepressants there's a whole slew of drugs that are um you know addictive the big thing right now is adderall gabapentin we don't allow some of those things in our houses because they're highly abused. Um, now, if they come in with it, we have doctors that will will um, have them go on to a non-addictive um, antidepressant or. Um, but w- we we try to limit, um, but but doctors, even addiction doctors, will still prescribe addictive addictive medication, which kind
1: of blows my mind. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you say about mar- medical marijuana in Pennsylvania because some of our guests um and and in my son's case probably as well, not 100% sure because I didn't know marijuana is like the gateway that people sometimes say that's the gateway into more illicit drugs. So I find it ironic that we're using marijuana as like an MAT. <laughs>
0: Well, well, here's the thing. I I don't know. I think I think we have a there's a lot of misinformation. I don't know that metal, I don't know that marijuana is a gateway drug. I think, you know, I, I read an article not too long ago. I think that um, there's a lot of of what goes into what a gate, what what is considered gateway. I mean, you know, trauma is a gateway. Um, parents that use drugs are gateways to more illicit drugs um you know parents that are absent from their children and i'm not saying that it's all because of parents but i mean but you know a family history is gateway so i don't i don't know i i, I haven't seen enough of the medical marijuana to really believe that it's a um an M.A.T. I I know that I've seen two cases that came into my house and um, they didn't use it as it was prescribed and they basically wanted to get high. And so that's where I'm still kind of on the fence. Is it an M.A.T. or is it a legal avenue to get high? I don't know. And like I said, we do it on an individual basis. Um, We try We control it. um, But, you know, they'll find ways Um, if they can, if they're not really um, wanting recovery um, or sobriety. So um, I'm not sure about, you know, I I don't really have that strong of an opinion of of medical marijuana. Um, I do know that, you know, there's been studies of it, of course, but Mm -hmm. um, does it help? I I, I don't know that it does. Um, You know, I think it's something that has to be, studied longer and and you know maybe there's dosages I don't know mm-hmm. but I can tell you it's extremely easy to get a medical marijuana card and yes. they all know how to do, everybody needs to everybody knows how to do it
1: it didn't um, used to be but i, don't. I, I mean it 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 didn't used to be easy but literally sometimes i hear the commercial on tv that literally gives you the name of the doctor and says if you need the card to call
0: and that's exactly what what they do. There, there's actually now you used to have to go to their office, you paid them 250 or two or three it used to be very high, it used to be like 4 or 500, but now it's $250. Um now you don't do that. Now it's telemed. You talk to them and they all know that if they say they have anxiety or they can't sleep or um the big thing is anxiety. Um
1: and we all that have that.
0: A, uh, exactly. <laughs> well, and he, and that's <laughs> And here you and, and and here and there's there it is. I mean, I think a lot of of some of, of our issues, especially you know, not downing that this next generation, but even even at my son's generation, you know, we had a pill for everything. Oh, you don't feel good? Take this. If you uh, oh, you have anxiety? Take this. Oh, you're nervous? Take this. Um, you know, there is a certain amount of normal anxiety that that life throws at you that you're supposed to be able to handle. Um, you know, there's there's tragedies in people's lives. That's great anxiety that maybe medication could, <laughs> would help with. But everyday anxiety, everybody has bills. Everybody worries about, you know, the economy or their job or, you know, that's kind of normal. But I think as a society, we haven't learned to, I, I think that we've, we've, I don't say we, we have depended on medication to help us deal with so many things that, you know, we just have more pills thrown at us.
1: I believe and, that. Even pain. I mean, you can, you never have to be in pain before you had oh, to no. deal with a little bit of pain. Now, when you're at the hospital, like you don't have to, what's your pain tolerance? Oh, it's a seven. Well, we're going to get that down to a one. Like they don't let you feel pain.
0: No, no. Well, I mean, I'll tell you a story. My, my older son, my, well, my, 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 son, um, my youngest one right now, he's, he's 14. And when he was about 11 years old, um, he had to have his o- ear operated on. He had we had found that he had his cochlear um, nerve was not where it should have been, and he had some hearing loss. And they thought that they could fix it, so we went to John Hopkins, you know, the best hospital in the world, supposedly. So he gets operated on there. And my son is, if he's pain, if he's in pain or if he's sick, he, I, I know it because he'll tell me. And he's, and he'll, you know, he. Usually he's pretty good. And so he has this operation, and, and so about a day later, we're getting ready to check out of the hospital, and the doctor's there, and he's writing, okay, this is what you need to do and this. And then he says, um, he says, and I'm going to write you a prescription for 30, I think it was 10 milligrams of Percocet. And I said, uh, no, you're not. And when, at that, he said, he looked up at me, and he said, is there a problem? And I said, I lost a son to an opiate addiction. He's in no pain right now. And he said, um, I said, w- what did he have? And they said, well, well, we gave him Tylenol and I think ibuprofen. And I said, I don't need 30 Percocet. He's sitting right here. If he was in pain, we would know it. And he's, I said, just give me five of them. And if he's in pain, I'll fill them. But I don't want 30 Percocet in my house. And he was like, oh, okay. And he was very indignant. Now, we've already went through this whole opiate crisis. Mm-hmm. And yet, you're going to write... My 11 year old child is 30, 30, Percocet. He's in no pain, and so I, I was still kind of blown away by it. And we never actually filled the prescription, and my son was not in pain at all. So we have to stop over medicating. And but then at the same thing, at the same time, I say that, but we have an enormous population right now who have who need pain management and can't get it.
1: Yes it's to the extreme it's one extreme it to is. the other
0: and and that's what we do as americans we never ever do anything middle of the road we always <laughs> do one extreme to the other and and i believe that's the, that's one of the reasons why we had the this opiate crisis because once they figured out all these opiates were out there they started limiting them and what happened everybody went to the street mhm and so it's um it's It's a cycle that um you know I think we're going to have many generations before we can literally get a handle on it
1: and, and that's that's the question we pose to everyone how do we start educating people? how do we turn the table? We can do podcasts, people can hand pamphlets out people can educate, but how do we start turning the table as a country, a world, I'm um, more so in the US. Like, how do we change this? And what, why can't we all work together? Like, everybody has their own opinion, but how do we even make a dent in this? Because we're not even making a dent right now, to your point. We have these no, MATs I, I and stuff think... that are keeping people alive, but we're not fixing the problem. No.
0: No, I think we have to start very young. I think we have to start talking about it very young. Um, we have to educate the children. We have to educate the parents. We have to, I mean, Narcan. I mean, we give out um, York Adams um, uh, Drug and Alcohol Commission. You know, they they just, they give us, most of the time we get about 150 to 300 um, Narcan a month. We give every bit of it out. Um, I have moms that come to my office. I meet them places. Um, we do trainings here. And 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 here's another sad reality of of, of the opi- of, of mainly opiates. Um, you know, I had a social service um, agency come to me and say, we want you to train our our. Um, we have to give these children back to their parents because their parents are doing better. They're not. They're they're in recovery, and we have to. But we want to train them to be able to save them if they decide if they go back to using, if they overdose. We want. So they want us to train them from nine years on oh, one up. And at first I was very taken back by that. And I'm like, do you know how traumatizing this is going to be, that I'm going to teach a nine-year-old how to save their mother and father as they've overdosed? And so they pose it to me like this. Well, yeah, it's going to be traumatic. But how traumatic is it going to be if they sit there with their dead mother or father? And it's true. So here we are <laughs> having to train children and it's, it gives me the chills now. I, I, I just can't imagine how we got here, that yeah. we're training children to save their parents.
1: And even at nine years old, to have to understand what exactly is going on, to know to They're do doing. that. Because when I was nine years old, I was playing with Barbies and had no idea. As a grown yeah. woman whose son was using, I had no idea. And now. now we have nine-year-old kids who have to understand, like, what could happen. That's crazy.
0: And yeah I mean it's it's just the it's the reality of where we we've, we've come but but here here's the whole part of that is that that you know saying that the bottom line is is we're just trying to preserve life mm-hmm. and and that's what this is I think this is all about i think more the more educated the more we understand the more um you know that it's more of an open conversation. We didn't have conversations like this when. When Anthony, I mean, he never drank, he never, he may have experimented with marijuana, but other than that, he, you know, he had good friends. He didn't, um, he wasn't in, you know, in any kind of, at that time, any kind of, I didn't have, you know, of course we talked about drinking and driving and stuff like that, but there was not the open conversation about um, heroin or any other illicit drugs Mm-hmm. and so now we're starting to talk about it, but I think we need to talk about it earlier. We need to make these kids understand that, um, I mean, just recently I heard a kid in a high school, I think he was 13 or 14 years old, took a pill um, from, that he got from a friend, and it killed him, and, you know, that's one time. He wasn't a, um, he didn't have an addiction. He didn't, you know, he, he took a pill one time,
1: and
0: that's
1: the reality of what's out there. Yeah. That, so, it is It is uh, scary. It is 100% scary. And, and we've learned some stuff from you, and I appreciate um, you sharing this. There's so much more, Gina, to your story. You, you as a mother learned about heroin and took it upon yourself. You own um, recovery houses, what led you in, and and again, like we can do multiple podcasts because you have so many different topics to talk about. But I want to get back to your son because you started the story with your son. Um, what drove you to do what you do now? Just
0: well, how did you I, get say, started? Well, what had happened after my son um, passed away? It was an absolute devastating time. I was, I was trying to raise a uh, my my little boy and um my my son Anthony also left left the child so his child at that time was only 2 years old so I had two of these I had both these boys and so um I had had um I used to do accounting um work and so um I just kind of I, I believe I I started helping people's um kids uh, people would call me and say, "I knew this is what you did with Anthony. How about this? How, you know, can you point me in a direction to a treatment center or detox, or how does this work, or how do I find out?" And so I started helping people, and um, what they had done was, um, I had come home one day and I opened my mail and someone had sent me some money, sent me a check, and I'm like, "What is this for?" And so I called her and I said, and she's like, I'm really appreciative. You really helped us. Um, you know, he's getting the help he needed. And I said, I can't take this from you. And she said, yeah, please do. And, you know, I got some more money. And I'm like, what? I, don't, I don't feel right about, you know, using this money for myself. And my mom was the one who said, why don't you start a nonprofit? And um, I, I thought about it for a while. And so that's, that's what I started doing. And so I um, I started um, just slowly um, helping people. And I was pretty good at navigating because it's extremely hard to, to navigate the insurance and where to send people. And a lot of times people don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know where to start. And so that's how I got started. And then I started doing outreach and realized there was a lot of... Um, a lot of kids, my son's age, that were actively using, and their families didn't know what to do, and so um, uh, you know I would help them. And the the ironic part about this, as I was looking through, a lot of this, um, you know how we got here, um, we you know we have. We've had addiction now since uh, the heroin addiction has been tremendous for a lot of years. But um, I think it, it's been so devastating to, you know, I think years ago we had the misconception that that this was a, a poor, you know, you know, the, the, inner, city. In
1: the mm-hmm.
0: inner city and all of that. And, and it was to a point, but nobody really noticed then when they started noticing was um and, and as i and as I read, they started noticing when it became out into the suburbs, when it became athletes, when it became teenage kids, when it became you know twenty some year olds mm-hmm. um and that's when they started noticing and so that's that's how I started i mean I just started um I started helping some of my uh Son's friends and their parents, and then, um, you know, I had did fundraisers, and we helped um, get people, you know, people that had been using. We helped them get apartments. We would help them do things, and then we help them get into treatment. Mainly, get into treatment. We would take them to treatment. We would give them rides. Um, we would find beds for them, because at one point it was extremely hard to find a bed for someone who was using, um, who needed. Years ago, it wasn't how it is now. Now you have to put them in detox, they have to be stable, and then they go into treatment. Before, detox and treatment were all the same place. So it was a little bit easier. Um, but now, um, I'm, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing now that uh, they have to get them stabilized before they can go into a treatment center.
1: So does insurance pay is that part of the 30 days the detox part of it or is that separate
0: No, that's separate. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't um it doesn't pay. Um they usually pay separately for that.
1: Okay. Interesting. So, you started this nonprofit. Share with us before we end this session. Share with us what's the name of this nonprofit?
0: Um, our our nonprofit is called um, Anthony's Way Foundation. And um, what we do is we have an office in our Hanover area, and it um, we do recovery support um, services, which means we our guys that come in, um, they'll walk into the office. I have people that call, but they'll walk into the office and they'll ask us, um they'll they'll either say, You know, listen, I just got out of treatment, I need help. We will help them. We kind of take the obstacles out of um some of the things that they need to accomplish to get their life back on track. you know, for instance, they may need to get a ride to um to treatment. they may need to get um, uh, they may they may need to get a job. We have connections that will help help them get jobs or vocations or training. But a lot of times they walk in and say, "Listen, I'm done. I need I need to get into treatment, or I want to go to detox." And we'll help them. We'll find a bed for them, and we'll literally um, drive them to detox. Um, So uh, we're starting a new pro. I think we're starting a new program where we will do town town hall type meetings, um, so that so adults, parents, um, kids can understand. You know, there are so many different. Drugs out there, um, so that they, you know, parents can understand what's out there. Kids can understand what's out there. So we want to do an educational part of this, also with the training. We do we do Narcan training in our office um, once a month. Um, we do a grass. It's called a grass meeting, um, and that's a meeting for people that have lost um, family or friends from a um, from drug addiction, and and that's. That we meet here, um, it is—it's called grief recovery after substance passing. And we meet here, and and we, you know, it's—we kind of share our stories with each other, and you know, some people are a little um, further in the grief process than others, and mm-hmm. and so we kind of help each other out that way. But it's—it's it's really a community support that we try to, um, you know, help point people in a direction to, to get them help. And then, of course, we have the two recovery houses, um, and that's for men. Um, they will either come out of incarceration or they will come from um, rehab. And um, they, it's a very structured living. We have a house manager that lives there 24 hours a day, um, and he's you know a paid staff member. And he will help them. We give peer support inside the houses. So we help them set up their appointments, any legal appointments they may have. We help them with learning nutrition, budgeting. Um, We make sure they take care of all their legal issues. Um, And, um, you know, they do chores in the house. They have a curfew, 10 o'clock on weekdays, 11 on weekends. So, you know, we try to help them rebuild and reestablish their life. So um it's exhausting <laughs> but at the same time um it's really rewarding and and one of the reasons that I um that I do it is you know it 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 helps me to um it helps me to to help them um, cuz I needed to when my son passed away I needed to find some kind of purpose in this cuz it just can't be that my son was here and he was a good kid. So I needed to, to make sure that through Anthony's Way Foundation that my son is remembered. And I had a guy just stand up. I went to one of his anniversaries. And he said, I'm really sorry this happened to you, Miss Gina. But I want you to know that if it wasn't for Anthony, you wouldn't have helped me. So that's what...
1: That's what it's That's all what about. That's what
0: drives me. That's what keeps me going. Yeah, because mm-hmm. there has to be a purpose in this, and and I think this is what this is. Um, and at times I drive myself way too hard, and then I gotta I gotta back off for a while and and rest. But um, I mean, it it, it helps me um, to help them. It really does. Yep.
2: What kind of thing, I got a question. What kind of things do you enjoy doing to get your, your mind right and to be able to help these individuals?
0: Well, I have to take, I realized in the beginning when I first started this on this seven years ago, I ran myself so hard that I literally was going to, I put all, put my houses up for sale, was going to sell everything. And I realized that I was burning myself out. So now I take two weeks vacation a year and we have an RV, and me and my kids get in that RV with our two dogs, and I don't answer the phone for two weeks.
2: <laughs> Just two weeks out of the whole year?
0: No, it's four weeks. Oh, I four go weeks, usually weeks. one in the winter and, and one in the, or one two weeks in the winter and one two weeks in the summer. And it was funny because my my house manager said, "Well, what if something happens?" And I go, "Well, what's going to happen? Well, what if the house burns down?" And I said. I have insurance, and when I get home, we'll take care of it. <laughs> and he was like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, we're going to be okay." I have a, I need a break. I've got to, and I shut my phone off and I don't answer the phone because I need to re, um, I need to regroup myself. I need to rest. I mean, it is literally a 24-hour a day job, and I've learned to hand some stuff off where. I wanted to have my hands in everything and it's just not possible. Yeah. So, I've I've learned that, but you know, my two kids they're great because they they do everything. They, you know, they enjoy doing some of the stuff that that we do and and um, you know, they help me with some of the we do a couple outreach things like the overdose awareness day and and they all help set up and so they're pretty good about about that stuff.
2: That's good. Are they are they open uh, to be willing to talk about what happened and everything like that?
0: Now, Dominic is my, my youngest one. He's 11. He's not actually – he's actually Anthony's child. So I legally adopted Dominic. Now, Dominic is very outspoken about it, and he doesn't – I don't think that he remembers his father, but my son Gianni um, – up until about a year or two years ago he didn't want to talk about it at all and now he'll talk about it a little bit that's good but he's not they're not very open they understand everything but um i think my son gianni because he knew his brother and he um you know they you know he kind of grew up with his brother till till he was 5 actually um I don't think he understood you know why he left and so i i mean i couldn't well, i would take him to to the cemetery and he wouldn't get out of the car and so i think i think he's i don't want to say he's mad at him but i think he's he's on he's not under he doesn't understand why he had to do what he did and and um you know they don't understand at that at that age they don't know how to process death and you know once you know somebody's here and then they're not
2: right i think that's an interesting interesting conversation that you have to have with somebody
0: yeah
2: yeah i mean it could be hard on them too
0: oh yeah oh absolutely
2: i've heard stories where people uh lost their father and stuff like that to uh suicide and and they struggled their whole life just asking a question like, why me, why, why did this happen to me and all this stuff? And they really did struggle.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a, um, a, a, a situation where, um, I think some people can compartmentalize it and some people, they just don't, they put it away and they never, it's something that they never deal with again.
1: Yep, I agree. And and it's young children that lose their siblings, older, older adult siblings that lose, you know, their their other siblings. So I think it affects everybody differently. And sometimes the siblings are the forgotten ones. We're finding out now just in speaking with people in general about the podcast or even talking about it. Sometimes these siblings feel like they are they they've. Have a huge loss as well, and they get overlooked. So we're we're looking to get some people on the podcast, some of the siblings, um, just so they can talk about it as well.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know Dominic may, but I don't, I don't think my other son, Gianni, he would, but I think Dominic would. Um, um, it's really sad because the kids are the ones that kind of lose out
1: yeah absolutely and that's that's a whole other topic we didn't we didn't dive into that topic yet that's something that um eventually i'd like to get into um because everybody that's a hot topic you know there's a lot of hot topics and and i i gina appreciate that you brought up what you brought up about the mat's and just your personal opinion on some things that you know at one point you said oh i'm gonna hear about this but we appreciate that because everybody feels and handles the situations differently. Right. Um, but I can tell you, like, I appreciate what you'd shared with us tonight. And if you don't mind, there's so much more I'd like to learn about your recovery houses, um, how you work those, what they go through and all the different things that you do. Some of the things that you and I spoke about a few weeks ago, I think would be interesting, um, to people, who don't really truly understand what a recovery house is, what a sober house is and how that works. So if you don't mind, I'd love to have you on as a guest again.
0: Okay. Yes. That'd be great.
1: But before we end, you talked about your group, Anthony's way. If someone is interested in getting in touch with you, is it the website? Is it an email or what's the best way for them to get in touch?
0: Well, we have, um, we usually, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because, um, we're actually revamping our our website, but usually everybody um, will will reach out to us on Anthony's Way Foundation on the Facebook page, um, and I I keep my personal um, I keep my personal page open. I don't anybody can contact me. Anybody can contact Anthony's Way Foundation, and our messenger is is completely open. So. Um, uh, that's usually how I get that, get, um, you know, people contact us or, you know, they'll call our, our office number or, um, you know, my cell phone number I put on for many years because we didn't have an office at one point. Now we have an office, but I keep it on anyway, because it's a great way to, um, to be able to, um, to get a hold of me, if not me, someone in my office or, um. You know, sometimes people are looking for a recovery house. They'll they'll call my um, phone or they'll call the office. But, yeah, it's usually our Facebook page.
1: Okay, perfect. Okay, well, we're going to end this, Gene. If you just want to hang on the line, we're going to end the uh, podcast. And then I just wanted to speak to you for a brief second. I don't want to hold you all. Okay. Evening, so. Oh, no, it's fine.
0: All
2: right, guys. Well, another podcast, another week. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one.
1: Thank you. Thank you.